this month on Episode 6 of the Global Credit Union Podcast. You know, if you want to run a good business, your business is only as good as the members you're serving. What's good for the members is good for your business. And I think really staying close to the people we're trying to serve uh, and to the problems we're trying to solve for is ultimately what keeps it real. That's the voice of New World Council of Credit Unions President and CEO Alyssa McCarter Laborde. She joins the program to discuss why she decided to bring her 20 plus years of leadership in delivering financial services to underserved communities across the globe to World Council. We'll also hear why she believes credit unions offer a huge opportunity to boost that type of financial inclusion around the world through further digitization. I'm Greg Newman, Director of Communications for World Council of Credit Unions. My conversation with Alyssa McCarter Laborde is straight ahead on the Global Credit Union Podcast. Welcome back to the program. I am joined now by Alyssa McCarter Laborde, new President and CEO of World Council of Credit Unions. Welcome to the Global Credit Union Podcast, Alyssa. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Well, you've been here about two months now at World Council of Credit Unions. Let's talk a little bit about what your biggest takeaways are so far about World Council and also the international credit union movement. I love that you say movement because that is probably one of my biggest takeaways. I didn't realize until coming over to World Council that there was this idea of a credit union movement. And that is something that is really exciting. I've met so many people in this last seven weeks, to be exact. And what I've found is that you know there's really a huge network that we can leverage for offering a deeper set of products and services to members. And that's one of the reasons I joined and one of the things I'm looking forward to exploring more with with a lot of our members. How do we really get at this challenge and opportunity around financial inclusion? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about your background in financial inclusion in just a minute. Has anything surprised you? I mean, you mentioned that you didn't know that there was this movement of this, this, this overwhelming kind of cooperative spirit. But is there anything else that surprised you so far? Well, it's funny because many people have said, well, how does it, you know, how does it feel to be on the inside? And (laughs) I I didn't know that I was an outsider until I joined and realized that there is this real connection, I think, across the credit union leadership, that it is more of a network, more of a family of collaboration, which to me is, is really powerful. I mean, that's ultimately how you solve big global challenges is by uh, the kind of collaboration, learning, you know, spirit of learning that, you know, as a business leader, you you need in today's world of really complex challenges and you know, certainly a lot of work we have left on on financial inclusion. Yeah, you're new to credit unions, but you're no stranger to financial inclusion and global financial incu- inclusion, especially when it comes to serving underserved communities or as a lot of people call them those last mile customers around the globe. What is your passion when it comes to expanding financial inclusion? And how does that translate, do you think, to the credit union movement? One of the reasons I took this opportunity is, you're like many people, the last, what, 18 months of living through a COVID pandemic, the first certainly in my lifetime and for many of us, it has been a, a real self, how should I say, you know, a real reckoning with 
what should we be doing as people, as business leaders, as those who I think really care about making a difference in the world? And for me, having spent a career in financial inclusion, worked in a lot of different countries, you know, I was very disillusioned, you could say, to see even in my own backyard in the last several months, you know, friends of my kids who whose families were food insecure. You know, in my own country, I saw the kind of disparity that has, has always been there, but that the pandemic really exposed. For me, this idea of last mile uh, of inclusion, that is something that we we kind of owe our fellow human beings. And working in an industry that is about access, is about providing the kinds of financial tools and resources that help people live healthier lives. For me, that that is just so much more important now than it ever was. And why I, I really believe, or I hope to believe, that credit unions can have a unique place, a very important place in the financial sector to try to really serve those kinds of, of households, individuals, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, who have in a lot of ways been left behind. Just to hear you talk, it's clear that you have a real passion for financial inclusion and making sure that it's something that continues to grow. Where do you think that comes from? Where does my passion come from for financial inclusion? You know, I I have had the great fortune of working in a lot of really interesting places, um, lots of different regions. You know, I think I've told this story before, but it, it really sticks with me. You know, how I got into this line of business, um, you know, my early days in microfinance was with a program you know, right out of graduate school in Yerevan, Armenia. So this was post-Soviet Armenia in the late 90s. And I, you know, was a young person, volunteered to basically try to turn around what was a failing microcredit program. It was designed to support very low-income women who had either lost jobs, their husbands had left to find work in Russia, had never come back. And so this microcredit program was really trying to offer you know, small savings and loans to groups of women. And I became a debt collector, literally going door to door, sitting in the living rooms of very low income women and trying to understand how they ended up in that situation and, and what could we do to help them clear their debts, but also help them think about uh, being able to sustain a livelihood to you know care for their kids. I tell that story because for me, part of the reason I've stayed in this for more than 20 years is that, you know, those stories of people are things that we can't ever really forget. You know, if you want to run a good business, your business is only as good as the members you're serving. And I think really staying close to the people we're trying to serve uh, and to the problems we're trying to solve for is ultimately what keeps it real. And so, you know, whenever I have gone to a branch office, you know, when I was running uh, microfinance institutions, I always made the point to at least have a few meetings with customers, you know, and really get a sense of what are their challenges. 
because that is really the only way you can truly understand how to design products and services that really meet those needs and ultimately help us achieve what is the mission of, of trying to, you know, trying to do what we can to help others live live better lives. I think what you're talking about is something that a lot of people, at least in the international credit union movement, feel. Um, what's the difference between that, where you're obviously very in tune to stories about people, making sure you're helping people, and then turning that into something that you say, I have a knack for being a leader in this area, because your leadership record is something that I think really impressed our board. It's one of the reasons you're here. So what made you say, I can be a leader in this area? That's an interesting question. I'm not exactly sure how to answer it. I think that you know, one of the things about being a good leader is being humble in who you are and really, you know, trying to understand people and ultimately uh, be, ultimately have a vision that people can rally behind. And I think that's what's worked well for me is I'm, I'm really passionate about the work, about focusing on the work and why we should be doing what we do. Uh, and usually people get a, get beyond their, you know, territorial issues or, you know, personal issues if you just can keep people focused on the common ground that we have. Uh, and that has worked well for me. I think that the reason they, you know, wanted to bring me in is, is you know, sometimes a fresh perspective an ability to question ultimately, why are we doing this? Is there a better way we could do it? You know, being able to always see the big picture and to help people focus on what's important. It's early in your tenure here, but have you identified priorities for your first six or 12 months on the job? Yeah, I have been hearing, I have been actively listening, you know, my listening and learning tour the first 90 days, it's been seven weeks, not quite. And I'm starting to hear things that help me form where I think World Council of Credit Unions could could focus for the ultimate benefit of, of our members. And, and then, of course, well, well, let me say the ultimate benefit of our member organizations, our member credit unions, and at the end of the day, supporting you know, the families that were here. This is why we're in this business. You know, what I have heard and things where I, I think that you know, we will try to continue to to help solve for these kinds of issues are, are, you know, aging membership. So how do we reach young people? That's the future for all of us. And so the fact that, you know, the average age of a member in the U.S. is 55, right. the average age of a member in Africa is 39. Those, you know, those are eight or nine years more than what the average age of, a po of, a po of the population is. So that's a real challenge, you know. How do we really, uh, how do we really grow the membership and invest in the next generation? So definitely, that is something that you know we have good examples. My challenge is how do you source the ideas, the use cases for certain of our members who have been able to do that, who've really embraced that, and and use our convening power to really. Uh, try to help other credit union systems grow their membership with young people. So certainly youth is important. I mean, certainly reaching uh, women with deeper, better services 
you know, I'm, I'm in this job because I care about development. I care about the social mission at the end of the day. And you, there's lots of evidence that shows you know, dollar for dollar, uh, your money uh, goes furthest in terms of positive impact when it's invested in women and girls. So I think how do we serve 50% of our member population that we might not be serving? And what kinds of services, you know, how do we really do that in a way that makes you know, business sense? Uh, that's something that I hear and that I think is a is a role that we play. And then everything digital. Yeah. Uh, you know, we hear always, you know, digital digitization, digitalization. There's lots of different ways that people define it, that think about it. I, you know, this is a challenge because, you know, thanks to the Amazons, the ride hailing apps, you know, the idea of how we engage, connect. Uh, transact has completely changed. Uh, in most countries, the the consumer's expectation is different. And so your starting point is different as a business that is engaged in transactions and money management. For me, I think it's it's very interesting to look across our membership and see all of the investment that's going into digital products and services. Sometimes you know, probably not the best use of investment uh, and other times really making an impact and solving the problem, right? Technology is not just for technology itself, but for really solving some of the pain points that customers face. Uh, so definitely, I think World Council can play a role in helping, again, source the success stories, maybe even share the failures that have happened where you know, it's, these are hard, complex choices to make, you know, by the time you digitize your back end, there's some other solution that might have come out. And, you know, you've just lost two years when you, you know, you could have gone about it differently. Uh, I think really focusing on the problems and the issues are uh, what ultimately we need to try to encourage. Yeah, we talk a lot about as people learning from your mistakes, but sometimes companies, they're not as, they're not as, uh, I guess, willing to admit their mistakes and then say, hey, here's what we did wrong. Let's learn from them. But there's value in that. Well, I heard recently, I'm going to repeat this because I found it to be just so poignant as an example. I was speaking to someone, stakeholder in the industry who has a fintech platform and basically services small banks in the U.S., and it was really funny, the story he told me that there was a, you know, one of his small bank customers in the middle of the pandemic, you know, when things were shut down, was really trying to figure out almost overnight, how do they allow for online deposit? They didn't, they weren't set up for that. You know, they had talked to some vendors. It was going to be, you know, by the time you issue an RFP and then you have to figure out what vendor to work with and do the customization and the integration. It was going to be, I don't know, at best, probably six months to try to get something. And, and so the solution they found was literally they cut a hole in the doors of their branches and they created a drop box, a literal drop box slit <laughs> through the door so that their members could drop off the checks. And then they could have staff, you know, not 24-7, but they could have staff, you know, through the safety protocols of the pandemic, be able to come and receive those checks and process them. And, and the member, you know, rest assured that it got to the right person. 
So it was such a simple thing, but I thought, oh, that is brilliant, right? <laughs> Let's not forget that ultimately, you know, innovations and solutions don't have to be fancy tech uh, things that cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And I, and I suppose everybody was trying to kind of figure this out on the fly during the pandemic. That's, that is a great example of doing that. Uh, you're the first woman to lead World Council. Is that important to you? I have gotten this question a few times, and I have to admit, when the press release went out, I, I was asked, you know, do you want, do you want us to emphasize that you're the first woman? You know, fifty years of Woku, and you're the first sure. woman CEO. I hesitated honestly because I thought, well, is that going to diminish me being the best person for the job? And then I later realized that, you know, until the time that it becomes a normal thing calling out firsts is really important. So, you know, am I going to be a better leader? I don't know. The jury's still out. You know, will I have a different approach? Absolutely. I think, you know, women are known for, you know, having a different approach to management, a different approach to business. And I think that the evidence will show that you know, especially in complex times in crisis, you know, there's evidence that shows women can often make better leaders when you have those kinds of complexities. I'd like to say that I am a master at multitasking. <laughs> I orchestrate very complex uh, household issues, you know, with my three kids and, you know, holding down full-time job and, you know, things that you hear I'm very passionate about. And so I hope that that means that I'll, you know, I'm, I'm in the right place at the right time and that I can bring, you know, my perspective experiences to bear. And then that will speak for itself. What do you hope that it says, and, and maybe what your answer says to other women in the industry who have said, how do I break that, that glass ceiling and get into a leadership or senior management role? Just having role models, you know, I think really goes further than we than we think. You know, I see this in a lot of young women that I have mentored and colleagues that I've had. It, just being able to see yourself, uh, consider yourself as someone who could be CEO is something that I think is often overlooked, you know, just, and so I hope that by being in this role, hopefully being successful in this role, it allows other women in our credit union industry and banking, certainly where, you know, the numbers in finance, where the numbers of, of women at very top positions have generally been very small. I hope that that makes it no longer something that's different, right? That's unique, that that the firsts of having women in these positions ultimately become something that is very normal because uh, because we're good at it and because we should be able to you know grow and and have those opportunities like everybody else. You mentioned three kids. Um, I imagine that is a lar a large part of the answer to this next question. My last question for you, but who are you away from the office and and away from work? I have to imagine three kids plays a large role in that. Yes. You know, when people ask me, what do you do in your spare time? I laugh and I say, like, what spare time? Yeah. Uh, you know, I spend most of my downtime, you know, trying to figure out how to get my three different kids to three different soccer practices that are halfway across the county and uh, don't have enough cars or drivers to to run them all around. So definitely stay busy. 
it's a joy, uh, but it's definitely, you know, the, the, the outcome of that is that there's not a lot of me time. What people will say who knew me, you know, Alyssa pre-kids, is that I have a great love of the outdoors. Uh, I love, I wouldn't say extreme sports, but adventure sports, you know, downhill, skill, down, downhill skiing. I used to go ice climbing. I used oh, wow. to put myself in places where I would just experience, yeah, experience new settings, uh, different people. I had a mountain biking tour through the Rift Valley in Kenya one time. <sighs> Uh, you know, so I've, I've, I used to be very good at, uh, exploring and finding ways to go off the beaten path. Yeah. Uh, these days I've tried to get my kids interested and, you know, every time it's like, mommy, not another trail. This is so boring. <laughs> that would be me as a kid. <laughs> but one day they are gonna, they're gonna love it. At least I'm convincing myself that I am going to have, you know, adventurers who want to go with me off the beaten trail. Sure. But uh, for now, I, I try to get uh, a moment to myself every once in a while to uh, to hit a trail in a forest somewhere or, or climb a mountain. And, and that's ultimately how I, I think, stay connected to to the earth, right? Where we are rushing so many times throughout the day, we, we forget to pause a little bit and just be grateful. Wow. Well, this was a fascinating interview for me too, because we're all just getting to know you here at World Council. But I can tell you that having been here a little while now, there's definitely an energy that I feel that is going through the organization with your arrival. So um, it's going to be very uh, exciting for all of us to see where we go. So I appreciate your time. Thanks. For, I know you're busy. Thanks for taking some time for us. Thank you, Greg. It is indeed an exciting time to be at World Council as we look forward to how Alyssa's leadership will grow both our organization and the work that credit unions do around the globe. And if you like what you heard today, you can find new episodes of the Global Credit Union podcast on the third Thursday of each month by going to the newsroom tab at woku.org. That's W-O-C-C-U.org. It's also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you get your podcasts. Until next month, I'm Greg Newman for the Global Credit Union Podcast saying, remember to keep on serving your members.